0: Hi Sense of Soul listeners, this is Kelly Sparta. If you are someone who has been interested in being a healer and you're on your healing path and you want to be a better healer, before you go out and take that next certification program, please stop and take a look at the program that I have for you about up-leveling yourself as a healer. You can find it by using the link in the show notes or by going to mysenseofsoul.com and check out why it is important to do your inner work before you worry about getting more certifications. Welcome to the Sense of Soul podcast. We are your hosts, Shannon and Mandy.
1: Grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. Today we have with us Dan Kimbrough. He is an award-winning documentary and visual media producer, an experienced educator that has taught courses ranging from basic video production to mobile journalism successfully overhauled and designed various media production and broadcast facilities. He is also the host of the podcast Systemic, a podcast about race, where Dan explores the aspects of race and racism in America. His goal is to educate and explain the intertwining of race as a systemic part of American culture. I listen to Dan's podcast. I have learned so much I was inspired to send Dan my Ancestry mini series called Untangled, and I invited him on to share his wisdom. Mandy and I are so excited to have this conversation today with Dan and also releasing this on Martin Luther King's Day and do our part in helping towards an anti-racist future for all of us. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. It is such a pleasure and honor to have you on.
2: Hello, nice to meet you. Finally, thank you for I, the invite.
1: Yeah, I, you know, oftentimes when I'm trying to help people understand about systemic racism, or when I'm going through my own journey with my ancestry, which you read, which you yeah, listen yes, yes, thank you very Just- much. So I always like to refer people out to someone else who for one is African-American for two has experience and some knowledge that is their passion to share. Because I know for Mandy and I both, we could talk about certain things that maybe even we're educated on, but it's the things that we're most passionate about
0: mm-hmm, that we mm-hmm. really
1: reach people. And I felt like your podcast is one of those Oh, and when it comes to, <laughs> yeah, the name of it, systemic. And so I have sent it out to people because I really feel like you do a great job episode by episode, really explaining that. And also in a way that people can understand because mm-hmm. it's, it's, I think, a very difficult subject, especially if you didn't even know it existed.
2: Right. Nope. Thank you. Thank you. That's, well, yeah, it's, that's, that's the majority of the feedback that I get is that you said it in a way that I understand it and I didn't feel attacked which not that I wanted to attack anyone but like those weren't the goals from the outset it was just here's the information and so I thank you for saying that and I've it's I've sort of that's been the the march going forward for this year is remembering to keep it that way so that it's accessible to everybody
0: and you know that word attack it's interesting you brought up that word I was having a conversation with someone that was feeling attacked by something yesterday and I always go back to that when you feel attacked it's a spot within yourself where you need healing and where you need education and you need more knowledge. Mm-hmm. So if someone does listen and they feel attacked, then that's, is a sign that you should even uh, more dive into the topic
1: yeah. and learn more.
2: Agreed. Agreed.
1: Yeah. yeah. And actually that's how I ended up finding that I would want to learn more about systemic racism in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, I definitely grew up white in Colorado at that, yes, having roots in Louisiana, my mom is one of seven. So definitely, you know, yeah. Louisiana, at New Orleans is my home. It's where my soul belongs. But when I did my ancestry, a lot changed for me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I, I was looking for this. Right. It landed in my lap. You know, we do have these powerful movements, but this is for me, it's not a movement. It was a journey that I started well before George Floyd died tragically in front of mm. America, which then seemed to affect others, Right. which was interesting to me because prior to that, I really only had Mandy to talk to about it or the kids that would come over, sometimes saying something about it on my podcast as I was going through it. I felt like not a lot of people were talking about it. Then all of a sudden, everyone wanted to talk about it. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. Oh. waking up that's a good thing (laughs) but like i said it became you know when when you're passionate about something you do you want to use your voice it naturally happens within your soul like your soul just starts to emerge in the forefront and it's like we're gonna speak we're gonna use this body this vehicle and your heart to connect with others
2: yeah yeah, that's one thing I love about yeah. podcasting and audio is if I feel like it's a lot easier to do that and sort of really sort of get to the heart of someone like they can take it with you and just sort of really dive in and hear. And I think that's the passion in people's voices, like even listening to yours, the struggle that you were having going through that and learning all these things. And and you could hear it in your voice of what in yeah. the world is going on in my life right now, but still trying to pressure through and figure out all those things. And so no, I agree 100 percent.
1: I'm still in my journey but I do want to share the way that I see it in my perception, in my eyes, it's, it is systemic. So to kind of have a better understanding about this, can you explain what that word means?
2: Well, I mean, systemic, it means it's, it's part of a system. It's integral. It's part of, it's how things are made up. And so when we look at systemic racism, it's, it's understanding that If you go back to 1619 and even before, uh, and looking at the history of this land, you know, that racism and oppression and discrimination are literally sort of woven into the fabric of how this country was built and how many countries are built. So like America is not the only one that has a systemic problem uh, when it comes to race, indifference and oppression, but America very early on codified it, made it as part of law and wove it into the literal fabric of how the, the country was being ruled. Who could own land and property, which in America, owning land and property is what gave Gave you value for numerous years and so systemic racism for me is this idea that it's sort of the way that we have to stop and recalibrate how we think about this country and that if we want to actually move forward. We finally, I think and we talk about George Floyd and in, in 2020 and sort of everyone was captivated because you couldn't go anywhere, right? You're in the middle of a pandemic, everyone sort of glued to social media and watching TV. And for once, you know, you really have this captive audience, which you haven't had media-wise for years. And you see this happen and it really starts sort of these questions because not only are you you you're stuck at home, but you're stuck at home with your family. It's not like you're at work with the people who have the backroom chatter where you would blow it off or things of this nature. Like your kids saw this, your wife, your significant other husband, whoever, everyone saw this. And so it cr- gave us a moment in time where we were all paying attention. And that's what I think is the recent catalyst in it. But for us to move forward, there is a lot of work and shadow work and deep digging and all these things that need to be done in this country. And powers that be have been able to shield us from doing that work for a very long time. And you talked about the idea of of movement and I think I think movements are good. Uh, if you go back I mean, if you look at the civil rights movement and look at that as an era, like there is sort of a cap on that civil rights era, right? That movement sort of served its purpose. And I think now we're at a point where there's a new movement starting. I don't know if we have a full name for it yet.
1: But yeah, evolve me. <laughs> <probably
2: evolved. laughs> right, you know? <laughs> and so hopefully we evolve out of this. Um, but it's this notion that, you know, a lot of the work that was done in the 50s, 60s, 70s was amazing work but a lot of that work just sort of said we're here like you have Mm -hmm. to recognize us if you literally think of what sit-ins were it was taking up space and that was great 50 years ago Mm -hmm. but and we've moved to a point now where it's no longer taking up space it is now listen to what I have to say hear my voice
1: Gen Z has done in their movements like walking out of school or Black Lives Mm -hmm. Matter you go and compare the statistics of how many people they were able to collect as children because most of them are under 24 Mm -hmm. years old compared to the civil rights movement back then we're talking they were minuscule right now the generations are speaking right Mm -hmm. now in a massive
2: And I think there's a lot of friction that because of that, you know, so like I've got a 10 year old who is continuously yelling at his teacher whenever they've split the class into boys and girls. Why does gender matter how we split up the classroom, right? Like he's 10 and this is the conversations he's having, right? He's a very special 10 year old. (laughs) are (laughs) you know but like he's arguing about you know the idea of gender identity and you know that why do we need to separate the class into boys and girls there's numerous other ways we can separate it right he's 10 and like you're right so generations are doing because that's a 10 year old in school doing that but you do see 20 year olds who are really sort of picking up all sort of movements and moving forward and you still have an older generation who is saying look at what we've created you know like we sort of got this ball rolling but I think also there's a lot of friction still because that older generation for them, pushing the line was taking up space. Well, we've moved beyond taking up space. We're walking out of school, right? We're stopping in streets, but doing it in a way that's much different than a march that was in the fifties and sixties. Like we're using our bodies and our voices to do a lot more. And I think that there's friction generationally because of that, because it's like, whoa, you've gone way too far. And it's like, no, you went too far 50 years ago, but you set the bar. So for us to make an impact, you have got to go even further now, and that's a good thing, right? That that's actual momentum in moving us forward. So I think in each moment that we look throughout history, there's always that bar being pushed a little bit further and further. But social media and the way youth are energizing all these things, it's moved three, four, fivefold now. You know, it's not Absolutely. what was sort of projected as what was going to happen, and a lot of that was the pandemic as well. Again. Everyone was at home watching these things happen and unfold before our eyes. And it was like, well, wait, well, there was Ahmaud Arbery and, and, and then you've got George Floyd, like, yeah. the list could go on and on. Right. But it's like, you're seeing them all happen at the beginning of 2020. And then Juneteenth comes up and it's like, here's this reckoning though. We have a race problem in America. And then everyone was like, whoa, what the hell is Juneteenth? And it was like, this is the start of understanding critical race theory, right? Understanding that there's an actual holiday that is based on the last day a slave found out that they were freed, which was not at the end of the Civil War. Well, what do you mean it wasn't at the end of the Civil War? Well, guess what? Some folks didn't want to give up free labor. And you start All this cognitive dissonance, well, no, 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 my history book said slavery ended this day. What is this Juneteenth nonsense? Mm. Well, your history books are wrong.
1: Well, in your mom, in one of the episodes with your mother, she wasn't even learning black history. (laughs) So, I mean, yeah, that wasn't even taught in schools. Exactly. I loved that episode with your Thank mom. you, thank you, God thank bless you. Her. I
0: really <laughs> learned a lot. From yeah, and you know, speaking about family, um, you brought up your son. He sounds like a, a strong force. I, I, it'd be fun mm-hmm. to follow him. Is was this innate? <laughs> Is this from watching Daddy? And you know, I would be curious. What was Dan like as a ten year old?
2: We didn't get to hear that. Oh yeah, no, Dan is a 10 year old. Um, both my, I was talking with my son. His mom's an English professor. We both, you know, when we were together, we were at the same university and she's very progressive in sort of what she wants to do with the women's movement and sort of women's liberation and, and fighting for women's rights. And then I mirror that as well with numerous different movements and things. And so from us as parents, whichever house he's in, he's always hearing a progressive view. And then, about all you know, our friends in our circles are very sort of diverse as well. You know, if we're going somewhere, it's no, it's not odd for my son to run into one of my trans friends or run into someone who's, you know, indigenous or someone who doesn't speak English. And like, that's his world. But I think that's also the world for a lot of kids today. You know, when we talk about why this is a three, four, five-fold sort of And movement forward, most kids aren't going to school today where it's an all white or all black or all this, like everyone's around you who is different and evolving in sort of real time. And so, so I think that's where he gets a lot of it. He's just sort of, he's a sponge, but he's very, he's super smart. And so just the way his mind works, he sort of has caught on to, oh, well, you being that way and you being that way makes you no different than me. It's just, you know, one or two things. And so he really sort of gets and understands that. <laughs> I remember
1: when my nine-year-old, well, it was during 2020, so she had to have been seven. I think must have been the first time she heard Black Lives Matter, maybe. I don't know, because of the protest. Mm-hmm. And her best friend that she has had since she was nine months old, okay,
2: grew up <laughs> baby,
1: is African-American. My daughter was so confused. Yeah. And that this is when I was going through my journey, and this is one of the things that I learned was very important, that I needed to tell her. So sometimes yeah. people want to protect. And I think that that's kind of a um, generational thing. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe The boomers were trying mm-hmm. to protect all the time and didn't want to share you yeah. know, the tragic history. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that she needed to understand that. And she needed to understand also that her little friend probably gets treated maybe differently or will be treated differently sometime because Mm -hmm. of the color of her skin because she's a little bit darker than mine. I mean, and that's basically what she needed to understand. She literally came up to me and said, well, why wouldn't their lives matter?
2: Right. And those things are taught though, right? Like for a child, unless you have been told that this person is different than you for some reason, why would you believe that they are any different than you, right? Like, I remember as a kid going to someone's house and like, you have a refrigerator too? Does everyone have a refrigerator? Like kids, what kids' minds work is like their world is their world. And like, until there's some sort of dissonance that tells them something different, they just assume everyone sort of works the same way and everyone does the same things. And it doesn't matter what the color of your skin or all those things. It's just cool of all the little things. That's I grew funny. up with my mom because of my mom's history We, like being told stories of my mom's childhood, like a parent would do, we're taught, we we were always taught about the civil rights movement. And when I was a little bit after I was 10, um, my mom met her actual birth father. So she grew up not knowing who her dad was. And so when she was 40, she met him. And then sort of my family expanded. And my one aunt was the youngest person to march with King on Bloody Sunday. And like has written a book about it. And there's been a play about it. And her and her older sister, when they were younger, both marched with King on Bloody Sunday. And so... Like in my family, when we talk about the civil rights movement, like there's an actual connection for us because like my mom marched and was jailed, you know, my two aunts that I met when I was older found out that like they were there and Selma, you know, at the Edmund Pettus Bridge, Um, they both still do speak and work in these things. And so that was sort of my childhood mirrored against the first time I was called the N-word, I was in kindergarten, you know, and it was a kid who was a friend of mine who was like, hey, did you know that you're an N? And I was like, what? had no clue what the word meant but you know i went home and told my mother hey little i don't remember the kid's name said that was this and like i remember clearly the look of fear terror and disgust in her eye as she read me the riot act because she was so angry but i was the only person in front of her but she explained she goes if anyone ever says this to you again you let me know this is not true this word means ignorant and blah 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 and you know the next day i come to find out she worked with this kid's mom, so that did not end well. But it was his dad who said it because his mom showed up at my kindergarten to apologize and her, his dad never got out of the car. And it was one of those looking back, oh, that's who it was. Like, it wasn't that my friend in kindergarten was racist. It was that in that household, his dad used the N-word all the time. And at some point, he referred to me as the N-word. And a kid being a sponge... With no context of understanding what that meant, of course, the next day, hey, my dad said you were this, right? And so when we think about how kids operate, like they're sponges. If you find people who are in elementary, you know, young adults who are that way, it's coming from home. So when we go back to talking about generation, like we still have that work to do. I come from a family that's very open and accepting and non prejudiced and wants to fight discrimination, but that's my family right? I can't speak for other kids' families, other people's families and what their kids are being filtered through. And so, you know, but that was my journey was that, you know, I ran into the police my entire childhood. The day the day before I graduated, I got pulled over for robbing my mom's work when picking her up from work. And because I had, I drove in, I drove past the cop because they were already looking for the person and they pulled a gun and told me to get out of the car with my mom sitting in the mirror. I was like, what did you do? And I was like, I came to pick you up from work. And the guy was 6'6", like 210 pounds in a blue shirt. I, in high school, was still playing football, but I was 5'10", probably 280. (laughs) Like, we did not, I didn't fit any description, but it was a black guy in a car in the parking lot. And they approached me with guns drawn, right? And I have a litany of stories in that realm. And so, like, for me, this work and that passion comes from, I've lived it all right? There's not a topic that I've discussed or things that are happening in the world that I haven't been through. And to see a George Floyd or a Sandra Bland or whoever, or whoever, whoever, like in a split second, that's me at any point in time in life, because I've been in that car, in that situation. You're
0: speaking speaking from experience.
2: And the scary thing that I think a lot of people are finally realizing in 2020 is that it is a split second decision that can determine whether it's you that is the name that's being memorialized, or you telling the story of what happened to you. Like it's not one of those you had to have done something so egregious, right? Like we have people who are telling the cops, "I'm a registered gun owner. There is a gun in the car. I'm illegally allowed to have it." And before the sentence is over, they're shot and killed.
1: I mean Elijah McClain. He was here mm-hmm. in our city. I mean, you know, he was a massage therapist in my neighborhood. Yeah. Massage therapist. I mean, yeah. that was just yeah. Yeah.
0: No, it's almost like a lot of children also can become racist without even having knowledge that they are. It's almost subliminal because of what they're seeing. You know, like in my home, it wasn't talked about. It, it mm-hmm. just was not talked about. Neither was religion. My parents just kind of stayed, uh, you know, like let you live and learn for yourself. You know, we had one African-American family in our neighborhood. That was it. Um, At school, we were definitely totally separate, which is insane to think of that happening, you know, in 1994. I mean, Mm -hmm. the African-Americans are at one end of the hall. You know, looking back at that just absolutely blows my mind. But it's sad to me that I really was never taught to kind of sit and think about that. And when I had to get real honest with myself and think, Mandy, are, are you racist? I think, I, well, I don't think, my answer was yes. And the reason my answer was yes was not because I chose to be. I almost feel like subliminally mm-hmm. through the society
1: I was raised in, I was brought up this way. It's like my, it was a bias test. Mm-hmm. I took it and I was devastated.
2: Oh, so in my training, I always tell people, I'm not saying that you are racist. I'm saying that your actions are racist or they're they're rooted in racism. Yeah. And this is where talking back to critical race theory, why critical race theory is important, Critical race theory is not even being taught in schools. It's a legal theory that you only get to when you're working on a PhD. But understanding actual history and understanding sort of the the meaning behind these things, this is why it's important because people aren't talking about it. When I grew up, people used to tell me all the time, oh, you're such such an articulate young man. I never understood what they were saying was that for a Black guy, you can actually speak the English language, right? Like there's those little things that are microaggressions, which people want to argue about. But like, it's one of those that when those things happen, That's rooted in racism. The person themselves isn't racist; they're reflecting the world around them, right? It's expected, mm -hmm. and it's the expectation is that a young African American male, especially growing up in the late '80s, early '90s, with the backdrop of hip hop sort of coming to rise and gangster rap and all these things, there's no way in the world that I could be articulate. There's no way in the world that I can communicate in a way that's not slang or abonics. And so, but that's that microaggression. It's the idea. Oh, you are so well-spoken. You articulate very well. The person wasn't, and they may have been, they, they may have been racist. I don't know, but what they were saying was rooted in racism. And so the idea of that implicit bias, we reflect what we receive in the world. And so if you see others in your community separating people even if you don't subconsciously, if you get what's going on consciously, subconsciously, well, if the black people over there and the white people over there, there's a reason they're separated. You're never going to question it because you're taught not to talk about it. And the reasoning could be very well, very much, we don't want races intermingling because black people are this or this, well, you'll never get there if you don't talk about it. And so I think that we have to have conversations with kids about what's going on in the world and be willing to have the difficult ones and confront those things. Because if not, what happens is, The generational and worldly sort of embedded racism moves to the next generation because we never stop to confront it, which again is what I think that that's what needs to be done when we're looking at systemic racism is we have to start confronting these things very, very early on. Back to my son being crazy, his social studies book said Indians, and he was like, when are we going to get a book that at least has Native Americans? Like, if not indigenous people, something at least is Native Americans, right? So for his kid, you know, that generation of kids in 2020 and learning social studies in the fifth grade, the word Indians is still being used in their books. So until they get a book that course corrects them, they may graduate still calling Native Americans Indians. Right, and so, and in this area, the Italian population was. This area was sort of founded by Italians, and so, like, we got Christopher Columbus statues all over this area, and it's very, it's a very hot button issue because for most Italian Americans, that's their lightning rod, is Christopher Columbus, which the entire story was fabricated, but no one wants to hear that when that's your lightning rod. You know, this is this is our guy, it's Christopher Columbus, but there was a lot of tragedies and things that go into that, and so in defending that they're not being racist towards indigenous populations, but their defense from their parents, from their school, from their community is rooted in that oppression and racism. And so I think there always has to be a line drawn. People choose to be racist, but people don't all, their actions aren't always chosen by them. It's that environment that they've grown up in. And unless someone's willing to call you out and check you on your implicit bias, how do you know what you're doing is wrong until it escalates to a point where someone's like, you're a racist. What you just said was racist. And you're like, whoa.
1: You, <laughs> you get defensive. You know, I remember when I discovered that I had this implicit bias. It didn't agree with my soul. So I had like these things that were put in my brain as a child that I'm watching. Like I felt almost brainwashed in so many ways. And then my soul didn't agree. And yeah. I had like this battle. But I I can't remember who said it, but racism, it's (laughs) multidimensional in many ways, right? Mm -hmm. Stems from generations. Our listeners know that my ancestors became my biggest teachers. The history, the true history that Mm -hmm. I've never even knew existed that happened here in America that has never been taught in our history books is what taught me it sounds like your mom carried the stories right yeah. onto you these helped you understand where mm-hmm. you came from you know the strength in you these things were denied from me because of race right. and so i needed to find out why that was how important are your ancestors to you
2: to me oh like, my family's in the world like I'm a nomad. So I've lived all over the United States, but like we have a family reunion Labor Day weekend every year. And outside of about a five or six year gap where I was working really crazy hours. If I can get to Chicago, I'm in Chicago. I drove back from Seattle once because I couldn't get a flight. Drove to Chicago from Seattle to get back to the family reunion. Like that's my soul. Right. And it's just being with them and being around them is something that I don't get to do often, but it is my connection to the rest of my family. And, you know, at two o'clock in the morning after all the young ones have gone to bed and we're sitting there still playing spades and Aunt whoever gets a little too drunk and starts spilling beans and it's like, tell us more, please. You know, like, you know, those are the moments that I look back and remember as a kid, like those were the big things. And the, the episode you heard about my mom is a, is a documentary that I've been working on for too long. But where I sort of explore a lot of those roots where understanding sort of the pain and the triumph of them growing up in lower Alabama you know their entire lives and the things that they went through like they went to the doctor on Saturday mornings and if you weren't seen by Sunday when the doc closed you couldn't come you you come back to the next weekend because you were black like that was the way it worked going to the doctor and so for me then understanding like thinking of that that's my mom and my family and you sort of translate that to numerous families across the country we have a lot of issues in the black community where we just don't go to the doctor for, right? Rub some dirt on and you'll be fine. You know, I and ibuprofen, like we don't, that's a generational thing though where like our parents couldn't go to the doctor. Like you just figured out how to deal with these things. And so now when they're raising kids, if you're not bleeding or a bone is showing, well, I'm going to take you to the doctor. Right. But those are those, that's the, you know, the terrible things that come through, but then like just, being around my family and knowing all the things that they've suffered in the south and seeing the joy that they have of being around one another and hearing the fun of stories and knowing that like my mom tried to shoot a mosquito with a shotgun once right like <laughs> just like silly little things that you hear when they're telling stories and reminiscing like that's your family and that's those things and so for me ancestral wise like that's amazing but i'm also african-american My ancestry stops at a specific point because records on ships were completely destroyed. Slave families were broken up intentionally to break down the the bonds of African-Americans. And so, you know, this slave gets pregnant by this slave. Well, dad's going over here. Mom's going to this plantation and hopefully they'll never see each other again. So I can only go back so far. And then things get real murky and well, you know, they look like this part of the family and their last name is spelled this way. So I only have, you know, five or six generations that I can pull from. And as they're dying off, it's like, well, damn, like how do we go back further and figure those things out? But like legally, a lot of records weren't kept. Records were destroyed. You know, if you're an African-American whose family was in a town like a Tulsa or things of that nature where there was those massacres, a lot of those records were destroyed to cover people's tracks. So it's, ancestry is amazing, but as a culture, we are one that really has a hard problem because we can't go back so far. I think it was... The drummer Questlove from the Roots. There's an episode of um is it Finding Your Roots? Um with uh that's on PBS. And like he's a lucky one. He was a they were able to trace his family back to the slave ship that left Ghana. So like he actually knows where his family came from, from Africa. He's one in a million, you know, like that's yeah. a rarity. So like for me, when i talk about ancestry, like the family that I know and I have, that's it. You know, without following, you know, doing an ancestry, which I still think should be free for all African-Americans. But, um, but like, it's one of those, like, unless I do it, one of those things, but even still, you're going to hit a roadblock at some point, because how do you get past intended oppression and destroying of, of records and the ripping apart of families? Like at some point you're just guesstimating, well, like they were in the same town for X amount of time. You're probably related to these people. But there's no real way of knowing, you know.
1: I was pretty successful on my journey with one particular, her name in my tree showed up as Slave of Therese. And that just really bothered me that she didn't have a name. So I went on this journey and I kind of was obsessed a little bit in many ways, but I wanted to find her name. Mm -hmm. Of course, I didn't find her last name. Many times um, the slaves took their master's last name, but I did find her name. Yeah, and it was very emotional for me that I gave her a name and that she didn't have to be slave of Teresa on my tree. But yeah, it was difficult, but I, I'm always up for the challenge. So if you ever want (laughs) to, I probably done done about 20 trees.
0: (laughs) You know, I listened to your episode where you talked a little bit about Thanksgiving and, you know, Shanna, speaking of ancestry, I, in my lineage found that Thomas Hunt kidnapped and captured Santos and a bunch of the other um, Native Americans and enslaved them and sold them. And that, that's my family. I mean, so when I, when I saw that, and learn the truth about Thanksgiving, I sat in something called shame that you talk about. It can be shame, it can be empathy, it -hmm. can be power to be more knowledgeable and to spread the truth, which is what I chose. But I I really did feel shame and and that's all throughout my lineage. I mean, it was like, what can I do with this? What can I do Mm -hmm. with this shame now? It was a difficult spot to be in that that was in my family and so, That's where Shanna and I kind of at the same time she was going through her ancestry and Mm -hmm. I was going through that. And that's when it became really important. But I also have shame around the fact that it took me almost 45 years to get to a place where I'm talking about this. Why? Why?
2: (laughs) I think each individual is different in that aspect of sort of where they're going to go. The fact that you found out about it and you felt an emotion I think is is sign enough that you're going in the right direction. I think there's a lot of people that would find that out and be like, all right, well, that was the past. It wasn't me, so why should I care? You know, they sort of blow it off as that that doesn't affect me. Not realizing that like that action literally affects people who still are alive today, right? Like the lineages of people are affected by those things. And so I think that that's the fact that there's an emotion tied to it is a good thing. We can get people to at least have an emotion when they find those things out. I think we're moving in the right direction. But outside of that, I still, I think the, whether it's shame, whether it's empathy, I think you're right. It's it's what you do with it. Which is also, you know, speaking, you know, on the idea of implicit bias, you know, just being checked. I think this is another way that, you know, you, you've been checked by reality yes. of whoa, this yeah. is this is my history, but I that's not me. It's that notion of what do you do next? Because I think often people learn these things or are checked by someone and they go, all right, well, now I know, but they still make the same mistakes because they don't sit with it.
0: You said that we need to do the work. Who needs Mm -hmm. to do the work? Not black folks. (laughs) Yeah, so the problem with that is I mean, you you mentioned shadow work. It's, mm-hmm. People don't even want to work on themselves. Right. <laughs> people are fucking lazy. People don't want to have to look at themselves in the <laughs> mirror.
1: So like, I mean, <laughs> holy crap. Like, yeah. Is where it starts. with yourself. I'll tell yeah. you the one thing that came out of my ancestry journey, all of that was so colorful and crazy mm-hmm. and, and I learned some of the most amazing things. I mean, the fact that Marie Laveau is in my tree is like the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> Well, to some people.
0: Um,
1: (laughs) What came out of it when I sat with it was that I realized that I have the typical story. And if you have ever doubted people that white privilege is not a thing, I am proof of it right here. My family whitewashed for generations for me to be the color that I am right here. And that is privilege. And they did it because they knew the color of their skin, the lighter than the paper bag, that they would have more opportunity a harsh truth but it is the yes. truth and that's what when i sat with it that's what i discovered and i went through the shame thing too and the shame then turned into anger yeah. and the anger then turned into passion to share my story and to talk about this with people because i i wanted to share because i wanted to see change in the world.
2: Oh, I think that's awesome. Yeah.
0: Okay, i'm going to i'm going to ask some uh some questions that mm-hmm. some people have raised to me during tough conversations and when I've sat down with them, one of them was if CRT is the truth, then why is it a theory?
2: Uh, So, (laughs) all right, here's the difference. Critical race theory is a framework. So it's like putting sunglasses on and walking outside and going, what do you mean? Everything's orange today, right? The sunglasses are just tinted the way you've seen the world. All critical race theory actually is, is a lens through which we look at history to see if and when race has had an effect on the world today. So it's a a legal premise. So the big way I always say people to think about what critical race theory actually is, is if you go back and look at the late 50s through early 70s in the interstate highway system, right? No matter where you are in the U.S., if you look at the interstate highway system, majority of the time, the interstate highway system separates the good side of town from the bad side of town because the interstate highway system was built through Black neighborhoods. They condemned the neighborhoods, said that they were derelict and slums, which then gave eminent domain to cities and the state to then go in and bulldoze those neighborhoods and put up the interstate highway system. So without critical race theory, if you just look at the decisions that were made, sure, right? But this is also the time in which there there was a broken window theory, where if there's a broken window in a neighborhood, clearly this neighborhood doesn't care about themselves. Let's increase the police presence. All right, so there's 100 police in town, 90 of them are in this neighborhood. You're never going to catch the rest of the crime that's happening in other neighborhoods. So this neighborhood has the highest crime rate, which is now the bad neighborhood, which is now the derelict neighborhood, which is now shut down the businesses, take people, move them out of their homes at a rate that's much less than the actual market value, force them to relocate, and let's put up our interstate highway system here. Critical race theory allows you to see all of the different levers that were pulled to make this action happen. And that literally nationwide, when you look at interstate highway systems, this is what was done. Another way to use the link about critical race theory, Jackie Robinson was not the first black person who was good enough to play in the major leagues. He was the first acceptable black person, right? There's literally an entire Negro league system that was already existing, which is why we have night games because they couldn't play during the day. So they had to build lights on the fields so that they could play at night, right? So then Jackie Robinson comes in and becomes you know the poster child and nothing against Jackie Robinson, he's a great man, but he wasn't the first person who could play at the major league levels. In fact, he probably wasn't the best, but he was the most acceptable. He was the one that was chosen to move forward. Well, you also know what happens when Jackie Robinson integrates baseball? The Negro League dies. Because now you can play over here. Well, integration works the same way. If we look at integration through a lens of race, white people didn't start going to Black establishments. Mm. Black people were allowed in white establishments. There were already Black restaurants. There were already Black hotels. There were already Black banks. Black-owned businesses existed pre-integration. But integration was a one-way street. And when we look at it through a lens of race, there was no way in the world white people were gonna start going to black restaurants, especially in the sixties, right? That was not gonna happen, but they grinned and barred it and allowed black people to come in. Well, they all brought their money. Well, if all the money leaves the black community and goes to the white community, well, what happens to the black community? Oh, wait, the derelict systems. This business has been underperforming, da, 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 interstate highway system. So critical race theory allows us to, again, look at all those little things. So that's, what, that's why it's a theory. It allows us to look at history in that manner. What we find from that theory allows us to then look at education and sort of start looking at how we're teaching things, right? So critical race theory, you don't even need critical race theory to you know this one, right? Texas, so a few years ago, tried to change books to say that slaves were immigrated to the United States of America. No, 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 no. You kidnap and stole them. Right. But even the word slavery, they weren't slaves. They were enslaved people. Right. Like they were kidnapped and put into slavery. They weren't born slaves in Africa. Right. And so that's what this allows us to do. And so it's just like, like the theory of mass relativity is a theory that exists. But from that theory, how many things have we learned about physics and science based on that theory? same thing with critical race theory this allows us to look at the world one way and from things that we find out we can start changing what we're teaching people about history
1: and it's American history right. almost everything with the African Americans mainly has had to be forced right. to be in the system because it wasn't going to be right. it all had to be forced and that's what I think that people that don't really understand right here is that, okay, yes, you may think it's unfair that you didn't get the scholarship because someone African-American got it in front of you, but that had to be forced into America.
2: And if we're talking about affirmative action, white women are actually the biggest recipients of all affirmative action. Okay. (laughs) Like most, minor people of color, most minorities, like it's white women, right? Because if affirmative action says, you need to diversify your workplace, who is a white man gonna hire first? a white woman yeah. who diversified. <laughs>
1: it's not long time ago. Your no, mother, really. you know, was talking about stuff that, you know, this is in her lifetime. This mm-hmm. is not long ago. In my lifetime, my mom remembers two different water fountains. Mm-hmm. I mean, people, this is not long ago. I feel like people think it's like- Oh, but that's intentional. That,
2: but that's part of the intentionality of it is that if we have a Black History Month and we only talk about- water fountains during Black History Month that f- phrases it and puts it in a framework of it's historical it's literally Black History Right Month.
1: or 1619 so long right? ago. No. Right
2: all of these things and so they're framed in a way that it's not meant to be looked at as now because the civil rights era again when we talk about it it's intentionally thought of as this historical thing not realizing that most people's parents not grandparents most people's parents we're living through that like it's not that it was your grandparents because your grandparents probably are old enough that like they were living during the second wave of the kkk your parents so
1: critical race theory <laughs> isn't necessarily about that old history because you just brought up very current things like living in but, the but, interstates
2: again yeah. th- from a legal standpoint if we look at if you go from 1619 through the civil war there are literal rules that are put in place where Africans are what was it if you're from if you're from a country that does not have Christianity as its base religion you are not allowed to be free if you are but if you're baptized you are now if you're baptized even if you're baptized but you're from a country that doesn't have Christianity as the base religion you're not allowed to be free if you are da, 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 like all these things happen but they are happening legally right not just sort of people are adopting them and then like the big one is like, if you think in almost any other country, if a king dies, their children are the successors, right? The queen and then their children, right? But it's right. based on patriarchy. In the United States, we changed it literally legally that your mother determines your lineage, which means that if your mother was a slave, when you were born, guess what? You're a slave, right? Because what would happen if you didn't? Well, if this white guy rapes this black woman, that child has access to the white guy's fortune in life. So if we flip that around, you no longer have access, which led to numerous situations where women were being raped and children were being born. But guess what? All those kids are now legally considered slaves. Well, that Mm -hmm. does come from understanding critical race theory, because that legally was a change that put into place. So when you look at the slave population in pre-transatlantic slave trade, most countries at the end of seven years or when you paid off your debt, you were a free person. And that happened through like 1670. Like early on, there were small pop-ups of different African communities because they had been released from slavery. While there were too many African communities popping up because they had shipped so many people over and they were becoming free, which meant who's going to work the fields. Mm -hmm. And so you're running into an issue when it comes to, to commerce as well. All of a sudden, you start putting in these rules legally that determine who is a slave. People, well, the Irish were endangered servants, yeah, but they were set free at the end of their paying off their trip to America. Africans never got that luxury. So critical race theory allows us to understand those legal ramifications, Mm
0: -hmm. which then
2: informs how we look at actual history.
0: That was actually one of the questions. Um, Wouldn't it be fair to say um, socioeconomic status is a bigger indicator of future success, not race? But based on what you're saying, well, and what history shows, is that that socioeconomic status was actually very calculated and Mm -hmm. and placed. um,
2: If you can't own land, you can't make money. That was the way this country worked for the longest. Legitimately, you're looking at what, 1865 is technically the end of the Civil War, but you're looking early 1900s before you get to a point where African-Americans can own land, right? But even then, if you look at Tulsa and Rosewood and Ottawa and all these places, where like there was a black Wall Street and it was destroyed, which means that those businesses, the finances and all of those things were taken away. But if you look at gerrymandering and redlining, there are communities you couldn't buy a house in, right? And the rent was too high, so you had to rent. Well, most white Americans can, even if they are below the poverty line, right, there's a history of land ownership in their family, right? I know plenty of people who live where I'm at now who, like, when they graduated college, they moved into grandma's house because it was still in the family. For Mm -hmm. Black folks, that's a rarity where like there's two or three lineages where there's an empty house that you still own because it's in the Mm -hmm. family, right? Yeah. So when we talk about socioeconomic status, if I have to pay rent or buy a house or all the things that other people are inheriting, right? Well, you start to have a wage gap that's there. Then you look at what people are being paid versus not being paid. And so if you're making, you know, in 1960, you're making... $1,000 a week, but African-Americans are making $200 a week, right? Well, you can save a lot more money than that $200 can. So when your kid goes to college in the mid-80s before the inflation when it comes to tuition rates, right, you could probably pay for your kid's school, whereas the African-American is now taking out student loans, right? Like You can see where the wealth gap really starts to go because five, six, seven generations ago, socioeconomic status... While money wasn't as crazy back then, you couldn't get ahead because you weren't being paid enough. Well, mm-hmm. most of we talk, what's the problem with kids today? Well, they don't have to work for the money; they're living they're living off their parents' money. Their parents are paying for them to go to school, right? That's a white problem.
1: Dan, I have to say that when you were saying that, I was really imagining what I had learned through my ancestry. Many of them were landowners, and they were free men of color, and they were like that for a very, very long time, and. It was when America had purchased Louisiana that then they lost their land and then mm-hmm. they became not free. And what's because very interesting- they were incorporated into yeah, America.
2: But, exactly.
1: But uh, I think that people don't know and that I love to share is that the majority of Louisiana, which was not just the state people, okay? No. It was bigger <laughs> than Canada. <laughs> <laughs> It was bigger than France itself was a majority of mixed race people the entire creole so, population yeah now i mean i bet if you, you we did the dna of most people i mean mm-hmm. we're all of mixed race now what i discovered too was that they stayed enslaved a lot longer than when slavery ended you did mention this i had found it through my through the census because i noticed that You had this plantation, because I Mm -hmm. have lots of people who own plantations as well in my tree. One was a French Creole. He was also considered mulatto, right? Right. They had a plantation, and they had a slave schedule. And you could see what was interesting is that they never left. (laughs) Now, instead of a slave schedule, they were on a census, And next to them, they were housekeeper, field worker. So they were not free because they still lived there. And whether they were paid a dollar a year, I don't know. But I'm sure that that lasted generations in in its own.
2: So you free the slaves and say, all right, you're free to go. 40 acres and a mule never actually happened, right? So you, know, if, you, right. if you were to go to get your 40 acres and mule, you would have land. That doesn't happen. So let's say you were in Louisiana or Alabama or, you know, any southern state where the civil war ended, but that did not end racism. No. You're free. Well, where are you going to go? That's
1: what if you do one bad thing. I'm going to put you in jail. Now you're enslaved again, which is what I found. I was like, why are so many of my grandfathers
2: always in jail? Well, because the 13th Amendment ended slavery unless you were considered a criminal, and then you could be put back into slavery, which was intentional as well. So you you may not be a slave, but you're the housekeeper, right? Well, all that changed was I'm no longer your master. I'm now your boss, and I'm not paying you. You live out over there in that little house rent-free. So, you have a place to live and you have food. That's the barter now, right? We go from slavery to bartering for people's lives. And so, yes, they didn't leave because where are they going to go? So, you're disposable. You're uneducated because educating slaves and Africans and African Americans was illegal at that point in time. It was
0: illegal.
2: If you left the property, you could be considered running away. Even though you were free, you can be considered running away. And if you're running away, now you're arrested because you're a criminal, which put you back. Like, there were so many reasons that staying became the better option unless you were in a town that had enough african-freed african-americans that could start their own sort of separate community to defend against that but if there's a plantation here in louisiana there's miles before you may get to another one so like where are you going to go and if this plantation is here the next one's 20 miles over but if they're friends you're just getting shipped back and who who are you going to tell the police slavery ended, not racism. And so there were many reasons where staying put just made more sense. And so it seems like, well, but now they're, they're choosing to be slaves. Well, again, you've removed all of the other inroads for them to really embrace freedom unless they can literally get to the North, but then you still don't have a place to live. Like you still are homeless and you have to figure out an arrangement where you had need a place to stay, which means you're probably not taking as much money as you should be paid, which gets back to economic and social economic status. Like all of these things combine and sort of compile on top of one another so that it's almost impossible to get out of the system because the system isn't designed for your success in any way, shape or form.
0: All right, so I'm gonna ask you a question that just like mm-hmm. makes my insights so uncomfortable. It seems that a lot of white people will instantly go, well, if it's systemic, then why did we have a Black president?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Why do we have a Black president? This is terrible, but from the Democratic side, what are your two options? Black president or a woman? A Black man is still a man. So, hierarchically, how we view things in this country, a man is still going to uh, beat out a woman, especially, okay. in, specifically, Hillary Clinton, tied to the Clintons, which for many Republicans, there's no way in the world that Clinton's coming back in the White House, right? right they would rather vote right. for Obama. But then, the other thing is, when you look at voting numbers, right, African Americans voted more in that election than they have in almost any election prior, right. because yeah. there was a real shot for him to actually win. And once he comes out of the primary into the general election and Obama is the front runner, right? There's this humongous surge, but there's also a push by Democrats to now go into minority communities and start registering voters. There was all the rock the votes from MTV and this and that, right? But think about pre-Obama, right? How many Stacey Abrams, and not that she was part of this, but like how many people do we have that are doing that work at a ground level going into minority populations with that level of push trying to get people to vote, right? And like you can go to any largely minority city and there are minorities who are trying to get people to vote all the time, right? You had a flood of white women. Wow. going into these cities right going into the south mm-hmm. chicago and setting up booths and sitting at stores you had democrats saying we got a chance to now get the minority vote
1: well it's mm-hmm. almost like you said about the doctor you know when right? you said your mom only went every other saturday couldn't go i mean thing with voting voting was so difficult and Even that's the it thing legal
2: and think about the older population right you need a driver's license to prove your Uh, identity right there new york first of all that's that rule shouldn't exist because of new york most people in new york don't have a car they don't have a driver's license right but let's go to the south right people above the age of 60 at that point in time so that's what 2008 so now they're 80-ish most of them
1: were illiterate
2: right because they couldn't learn in schools because they couldn't go to school 60 years before, right? They weren't allowed to be in school in the first place. So they, they survived that entire
1: right, entire
2: Jim Crow era. So like they were the ones who couldn't vote when they were younger because of Jim Crow laws and you know asking how many state senators there are in Alabama before they will give you an actual ballot. So you have those, that population, right? But let's be for real, and I grew up in northern Indiana in Fort Wayne, but like 10 miles outside of Fort Wayne is all country. How many people who drive have licenses who grew up in the country? Think about all of the reasons why you need an ID to vote, because they know that there are large swaths of populations who don't have an ID, not because they're illegal or any of those things. They never needed one. Trying to vote as an African-American during that point in time was almost impossible. So you have all of these people who are now showing up in these communities saying, we will do whatever it takes to get you, like, we will drive you down and sit with you all day. <laughs> like, we will do these things.
1: We will do the paperwork. No.
2: because But think about it now, right? You go to almost like any summer farm festival, and, you know, especially here at NEPA, if you go to the farmer's market downtown every day during an election cycle, there's somebody that's sitting there who will sign you up to vote.
1: Wow, but you in
0: Pennsylvania, that shit ain't happening here no. <laughs> All right, so here's the other uh, one you'll hear a lot. I've heard people are against the CRT because it's counters to MLK's vision of looking at people not for the color <laughs> of their skin, but content of character. Yeah, CRT. CRT inherently focuses on race and skin color, which is counter to MLK's goals.
2: Which is a whole lot of nonsense. Uh, Martin Luther King literally, they came to Sanitation Workers March and a few other things. He, before CRT existed, was using race as a lens on which how he looked at things. That's oh. literally the foundation of his work was saying that when we look at America, African Americans, indigenous individuals, Hispanic people are being paid less wages. they're not getting like his argument was critical race theory before critical race theory had okay. Ended. Okay.
0: Yeah All right so
2: that you, was exactly. that was how he was doing it. And the argument against critical race theory oddly goes back I'm gonna say it was like 2018 somebody found out about it and started making this argument against it long before we got to the sort of curtain state of things. So there were sort of footholds in this notion of why does this exist? And the big thing now is we don't want this taught in schools. And it's this perfect storm of we are starting to teach history as it actually happened and not through a white lens. And people are talking about critical race theory so they've made the assumption that critical race theory is this and it's like no these two things are happening independently of one another right as a country there are scholars who have said you know if we stop and look at x right pick a point in time And look at it from a racial lens. What do we actually see about what's going on in this country? and What happened at this point in time? That's happening at the same time as people are saying, why are you still using the word Indian in our school books? It should be an indigenous person, right? Or they're going through and saying, look, you can't, like, this statue is commemorating a civil war, you know, leader. That should not be at the center of our town that needs to come down. They're not related to one another. They're happening in the same space, right? It's like when you look at the, the original anti-vax movement, they expanded the spectrum of what autism was at the same time that we mandated vaccines for children. Well, wait a minute more kids have autism than they did before and we mandated vaccines. No, we realized that these things are actually autism and not some other random disease. So now they're considered autism. So yes, there's an initial spike in the amount of people who have autism. They've always had it. We just figured out what it was called. That happened at the exact same time that we started mandating vaccines. So they're
0: like merging them together.
2: And they're they're making a Venn diagram when there isn't one.
0: Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Okay it's interesting right it's all it's all about the timing and how it's presented to us um Mm -hmm. through media or through uh, you know whatever
2: but it's it's intentional right most right-wing media is arguing that schools are changing curriculums because of critical race theory it's not true but if it gets printed once and gets put out into the news cycle people will bring it up and so Centerline Media has to write an article. Well, they don't have to. That's a whole different podcast. But they write an article saying that critical race theory is not why schools are changing. Well, now there are two articles that mention critical race theory in schools changing. Well, there mm-hmm. must be something there. So then right. blogs and everyone else pick it up. And then social pundits, blah, 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 blah. You have a firestorm. They're two different and, things all together.
0: And, you know, I hear a lot of parents, their biggest fear around it is that their children are going to feel something. What? <laughs> <laughs>
1: what's that? what's wrong
2: with that um doesn't it, patriotic, you know ideas well like, and it's funny the, the the majority of the feedback that I've gotten from that specific episode is people who were looking up what it is and that their school and literally it's, it's parents reaching out saying my school board is voting on whether or not critical race theory should be taught in schools and I wanted to know what it was and now I realize that it's not actually being taught in schools right like a, it's not being taught in schools, but B, the other feedback that I get is why is this, I don't want my child to grow up and be angry at America or think it's bad to be white. <laughs> and it's one of those yeah. uh, if your kid's angry at America, I can't help you with air. That's whatever. <laughs> but no one's saying that it's bad to be white. It's accountability for what has happened in this country. And that accountability falls squarely in the lap of white America. What you do now that you know that systemic racism exists now that you know that your family may have owned slaves right now that you know that your family has whitewashed history you know in the family literally in your case you know sort of whitewashed who the family is right what you do determines how your child will feel about you going forward that is nothing to do with, with critical race theory or teaching the truth you should be angry that at your age with a child in school you're just now learning the truth about the country like that's yeah. where the anger needs to lie. So it's
1: what that anger and those emotions? How? What are you gonna do about them?
2: And that's you, you mean know to just
1: push them down like the rest of the generations, generations
0: have. Not speak. It, it goes back to everything we talk about, Shanna. Awareness, right? Mm-hmm. Now I will say you changed something that I say all the time that I don't, I don't even know if I can use anymore. It's like one of my <laughs> it's like one of my favorite go tos. So <laughs> what's Shanna? What's one of my favorite go tos? Think about it um progress not perfection that's one um, okay so it's um it's concentrate on the solution not the, problem. not the oh my
1: god i hate when she tells me that
0: <laughs> i was thinking about that last night and i was like well you have to have awareness around the problem in order to come up with the solution.
2: Figure out the solution, right? The problem will go away if you can come up with the solution, right? Well, but we know the solution in the situation, right? The solution is awareness. The solution is accountability. The solution is figuring out how do we close the the wage gap, right? Looking at reparations and all these other things. The solution is looking at transferring land rights back to individuals there was a town in california who just transferred back a certain plot of land to a family that oh my was taken God. from.
0: right That's like beautiful
2: right and it was one of those like I, I forgot what the land was currently being used for but they gave the rights back to this family because they were able to trace that th- we took this from your family oh you get this God. back now right so like i think part of the problem is we've known the solution to ending racism for decades right if not centuries we can take care of systemic racism by educating ourselves by being aware and by having accountability as a country we have the financial footing to make an actual payment forward on reparations that's not going to hurt white americans right we've done it with native americans We've done it with the Asian population. Like There are numerous times that we've given reparations for things that have happened in the past. But this is tied systemically into who America is. And America does not want to... And even during Obama, we never really got a full apology right, about slavery and what happened because that acknowledgement...
0: Yes, I was going to say, doesn't accountability have to come first?
2: Exactly. And no one wants to be accountable because, and this is true, America would not be where it is today without slavery, I'm not taking that away from you. It's still wrong. <laughs> like for me in the end world, black, white doesn't matter anymore, right? Like black, white, Hispanic, whatever, all of those terms would go away in the long run because I can appreciate an individual and their culture without it being coming down to the understanding of racially who they are, right? And racial race is a social construct in general, right? White doesn't exist. There is no white race it only exists to counteract black because you brought in people from Africa, you labeled them black, well, if they are black, what are we? And originally there was no white, right? There was Italians, there were the Irish, there were the British, right? All of those things didn't exist until early 1900s with the KKK and the sort of, you know, black people wanting more freedom, all of a sudden they codify together and become white and that's so it's a new term in general but white does not exist and if white doesn't exist black doesn't exist because it was created to categorize people together so i would love for me in the ideal world that we get away from all of that and i can just learn to love who a person is and their culture and hear about it from them and not have indoctrinated preconceived notions. Mm-hmm. That's decades, centuries from now that we would ever it get is. to that notion. Do you,
0: do you but, see hope? Do you see hope with these new generations?
2: Um, I do only in, they are growing up in schools, in cities, in home lives where they aren't the only person who looks like them. So even if you grow up and your parents are homophobic, when you go to school, the likelihood that there are children who are out now, right? Not the likelihood that there are children who are gay because they were always gay. They were always there anyway. But the fear of coming out kept them from doing so. So you didn't know who was around you. The likelihood that your best friend is going to come out in today's world is infinitely higher than it was 15 years ago so those kids will have internally to deal with you're my friend and while you are different than i am does that change how i feel about you Mm -hmm. it's no longer going to be the parents coming down on them and i think we you know the thanksgiving talks that we hear about nowadays like kids coming back from college well college ruined my child now they accept everyone okay um you know like i think more and more of that is happening So I think that's the hope going forward is that I think that just because the world is naturally diversifying, which is what scares a lot of people who are against the truth and accountability and hearing these things, is that they will no longer in number be in charge, which we're already almost at that point in general, but they're afraid of losing power and ego, not realizing that if everyone has fair say in what's going on, we do better as a culture right? Like we see it in business. The numbers show that if you have a diversified boardroom or managerial staff, you make billions more a year because you have a diversity of thought helping you work through problems, right? If this is the solution, how do we get there? Well, if that's the solution, you have now 10 people who are very different working on the problem to get to the solution as opposed to one person and nine yes men. Yeah, That's going to be society going forward is that we know the answer, right? We need to stop discriminating and stop using difference as a mean of how we categorize, judge, and and allow people to have access to things. Eventually it's not gonna be an issue because everyone's going to be some sort of mixed race at some point, outside of like pockets of Minnesota, which will always be Scandinavian. Um, (laughs) But like Almost everyone's gonna be of some sort of racial diverse mix up. Your circles are gonna become more diverse. And as each circle becomes more diverse, You choosing to discriminate becomes a very different choice than it is now. Because if everyone around you is different and you still hold on that you are superior, that's a whole different thing than when it's you and 10 people who look like you and one who doesn't. If all 10 are different than you and each 10 is different than someone else, how can you have a superiority complex? Because you're relying on those who are different than you to move yourself forward.
1: You know, I love that the generations, they're able to get on and listen to this. When I was young, I didn't have a place to listen <laughs> to people talking about racism. Definitely not in my home, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so I did have that. And the, the schools same. were teaching, Yankee Doodle came to town riding on a pony. <laughs> Resources,
0: yeah. if, if people want to start educating themselves, what are some of your top like documentaries?
2: If you're going to look up Critical Race Theory, read 50 articles. It sounds crazy, but read 50 and the 10 things that stand out the exact same, that's probably the nuggets of truth. I just tell my students okay. when looking at news. When it comes to just sort of understanding sort of where we are in race and all those things, like read everything by James Baldwin, anything he's ever done, watch any James Baldwin program. He offers a perspective of someone who left America felt guilty about his success and leaving his family behind. And when he came back, his mission can't tell the African-American story. I would say, read up on the Harlem Renaissance. It was one of the first times in American history where Black people were allowed to freely express themselves. And you'll see a very big difference in sort of how the writing is and the freedom and the tone of it all. Watch the documentary 13th by Ava DuVernay on Netflix. Uh, It really breaks down a lot of of factual information that exists. Um, Uh,
0: Yeah, it does. Wow.
2: (laughs) And it's rough. And it's a rough watch. Another one that I love that isn't so much a punch in the face, but it just sort of, it'll move you. It's called, uh, it's done by John Legend. It's about the music of the civil rights movement. Soundtrack to a Revolution. That's a great one to understand, sort of, the link between music. But there's a lot of yeah. information hidden in Shannon, that documentary. Have
1: you watched that? What's
2: it called? Soundtrack to a Revolution. No. Mandy, you said you've seen it? Yeah. The two aunts that I talked about, uh, Joanne Bland and Linda Lowry, they're featured in the documentary.
1: It was so yeah. good. It yeah, was it's so a good bad. one and I didn't, I didn't actually like the pat but I was so excited that they were coming out with a passing um, documentary on Netflix. And I'll have to be honest and say that I wasn't too crazy about it because they really though. glamorized it. Yeah, it's based on someone's starting.
2: book. So yeah, so it's, it's a fictional work. Um, cause that was one of the things a lot of people said that was like for documentary, this was, this didn't hit, I was like, it's not a documentary. It's, yeah, you're right. it's just, it's a someone's book. It's a, it's a fictional yes, piece. Right. You, you,
0: you want to know what I, I find that would be my piece of advice is just stay curious listeners and just stay willing to be open i would
2: almost even before you go into the the documentaries and sort of the truth telling things one thing i say is just expose yourself to black media one of the funny things that i've always noticed is that when a black movie comes out finding friends to go watch it with me because it's a black movie is a hard thing to do and if you want to understand black culture it starts with understanding black culture so, like, go watch Friday and Friday After Next. Go watch <laughs> Are We There Yet with Ice Cube. Like, it sounds silly, but like these are Those movies are some that of are my
0: favorite.
2: right. You know, and so, but people don't think about the idea of watching these to understand other people. Okay, and what you have to realize is that these are movies made about the culture for the
0: culture. So,
2: if you really want to sort of outside of educating yourself on the idea of systemic racism, blah, 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 understand the culture.
0: How many books on your child's bookshelf in their bedroom, you know, has black characters in it.
2: Yeah. And I think that that's the thing is that it's not, it's not always the heavy stuff that you need to expose yourself to. It's just finding the everyday things. If you're buying, if you're buying books for your kids, if you're buying 10 books, buy four books that are from people who aren't, that are written by people who don't, or at least the images are different. Right. My son, and mind you, if the weird thing with my son is I didn't always think about race first because I'm black, like he knows this, right? Like we understand these things. But when we watched A Snowy Day, they they animated it. He was hooked in a way that I had never seen him drawn to something before. And it took me a long time to realize this may have been one of the first things that we've watched where like main character's black, but they're also talking about difference and he understood it, right? And it was one of those, huh. I didn't, but it didn't dawn on me. Either. And like, I've got the books and I've got this or whatever, but like we would go on Netflix and he would watch Paw Patrol or whatever was hot at the time and this and that. And a lot of ways that producers get around these things is using animals as opposed to using people because they don't always mm-hmm. want to diversify things. And like we watched this and like the majority of the cast or the characters in it aren't white but it's about learning about oh at Christmas my family cooks this and my family cooks this and let's have a big meal together as a community and he was blown away and he was oh my god that was really fun and he really wanted to sort of take this dive and I was like huh it didn't even dawn on me we were reading the books but he wasn't watching a lot of these things but then I had to stop and look at well if you turn on Netflix you're going to have to dig to find media that is a cartoon for young kids that has minorities at least, you know, as part of the overall cast, that's not action or race cars or blah, 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 That's just an actual story. And so 100% with the, you know, the books in the bookshelf, you know, if your kids are watching TV, or watching a cartoon, make sure that the characters are not all white. Right? Oh, yeah. like I think there's a Jurassic Park cartoon that's that's out on Netflix right now and one of the girls is in a wheelchair the I think the second lead male is a black kid and then there's another girl who's clearly Asian not the weird other that we don't know what what uh, ethnicity okay. they are <laughs> <laughs> you know, the weird, coarse hair olive skin tone we won't discuss what they are but they're not white but like, Expose your kids early on to just difference in yeah. the toys and the yeah. TV shows.
0: Your podcast and my podcast. A shout out! Come
2: on. Yes, yeah, systemic. Um, which will be upping. We'll be doing more episodes this year. So, but systemic is another good one. Oh, you, you walked me in that question. I entirely missed it, didn't I? Uh, <laughs> God, really? God, I,
1: don't be so mm-hmm. humble, dude. So good. So good. I binged so the shit out of it. I sent it to everyone. You know the funny thing
2: is. That podcast was born out of a lot of anger and frustration. I forgot which incident set it off, but I was at a point that like, I was ready to get in my car and drive somewhere and go protest and probably do something stupid. And it was like, why are people not getting this? Like, why are we still having these arguments? Why are we still fighting about these things? This makes no sense. And I was, just I was really pissed off. And I'm, a, I'm by no means a violent person. I'm not a pacifist, but okay. I choose to be nonviolent. And I was at a point that that I felt that strain breaking. And I was like, I got to find a way, a creative way of dealing with these emotions. Yeah. And the original artwork and the original name for the podcast were much more in your face and, angry and i Mm -hmm. sat with it for a while and what you have now is systemic um but it's always funny that people talk about how accessible it is it's easy to binge it's so approachable i'm like if you understood where this started (laughs) sometimes i still worry with each episode like did i go too far did i I piss off the world with this one and i always get this feedback of it's so accessible and i'm like clearly my level of what's going to piss off the world and what pisses off the world (laughs) two entirely different things but uh, it was, I, I, it was I, I, born I, I, out of I, I, a lot I, I, of hate I, and frustration thank you thank no, you.
1: So. i mean sometimes you literally have taken you know the words right out of my mind and <laughs> and, and i aligned so very much with it and i appreciate it like i said i give it out to everyone because i feel like this is something that needs to be talked about and i too had gone through so many emotions and, and, and in that I'm like what do I do with all these emotions and you can get angry and angry is not going to change the world what's going to change the world is talking about it you know and using your voice so you have a, a yeah. voice
0: for a reason first of all your resume was like whoa, whoa, oh my <laughs> wow, right? god
1: damn I, I printed it out and I was
0: like this is beautiful <laughs> um <not> you? <laughs> I, you broke her printer man <laughs>
2: i was a nomad i was a nomad so
0: (laughs) well you should just be so proud looking at that i mean and you've done some really cool things i mean thank you thank you talk a little bit about that journey i know we could keep you on forever because i mean we didn't even touch base on like 90 things so we'll have to have you on again but talk about um just this journey i mean you used to even do documentaries for espn and like what brought you to this place and and what's your passion currently now
2: so where I'm at now, I work in uh, Northeastern Pennsylvania. If you've ever watched The Office, I'm just south of Scranton. So um, I came here to teach, actually. Uh, before this job, I was working in cell phone media, where if you remember back, you had to pay to download a video file. <laughs> and that's how you got it on your phone. Yeah. And then the the iPhone came out, and I said, I'm going to, be able to have a job real soon. Prior to that, um, I did. I traveled over. I, I did sports with the ESPN. I didn't do documentaries with them, but I was uh, I was I would do local games with the ESPN, shooting sports. And so I've been in, in and out of tons of arenas. Um, I lived in Seattle for a while, working in television there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done grief counseling. Wow. I have, a, I have a dual psych degree. I have a dual psych and communications degree. And so I used to always say I made more money with my psych degree than communications, even though it was my field. <laughs> I used to answer shift calls for crisis lines and and deal with a lot of things in the nature so my passion though has always really been just the idea of storytelling and so in all sort of every aspect everywhere I've been even with working in grief and counseling and when I was an RA on RD when I worked at Syracuse it was always how can I use this to help people tell stories often I was driven to diversity and difference like I think some of the best stories we can tell are rooted in difference and in conflict not always combat, but conflict. And the best stories are, you know, if there's no conflict, you don't have a story because there's no arc, there's no growth, there's none of those things. And so that's always been my passion. And so whether it's been photography, whether it's been in counseling and working with people and telling them them telling their stories, a company now is called Park Multimedia. And our literal tagline is, we tell stories, what's yours? And so it's working with companies and individuals to whatever they come up to us with and helping them tell their business's story, or if it's an individual working on a project, how can we best tell your story and get it in front of an audience so that you can grow. I'm sort of against paid, Advertising and marketing, um, just because I think that a good story that's well crafted and from the heart and authentic will get you more followers and more attention than spending money, and they'll last longer. And so, so yeah, no. So going into twenty twenty two, podcasting clearly is something that I, I'm enjoying, and I started in radio twenty some odd years ago, so it's sort of been a fun switch to come back to audio. We still do photo, video. We work a lot with live streaming with individuals, and so the you know it's best. It's how do we tell stories, and then personally continuing this DEI work and sort of digging into the work of sort of dismantling the all the mystery around systemic racism, helping people understand sort of topic by topic and sort of building a database of, hey, I don't understand this, sort of like Shannon said, she shared it with everyone. Oh, you have a question about this? Here's a podcast that you can listen to. Doing work in that way and getting back into documentaries that deal with sort of this history and, and what we are missing from society. And so long-winded answer i like telling stories about diversity
0: (laughs) freaking love it you know shannon and i kind of always have talked about you know with with sense of soul it's about turning pain into purpose taking all the hard-ass shit that we've been through our ancestors have been through and and taking that instead of letting it harden us and fester and create resentment or more hate trying Mm -hmm. to find a way to alchemize it into uh you know our purpose
2: and to make um this world better for those after us right that's awesome yeah i 100 agree i think that uh i used to do conflict mediation and our favorite phrase is that conflict is inevitable but combat is optional um and the idea being that you know combat's a destructive force and so out of conflict you can either create something or you can destroy something but that choice is ultimately yours at the end of the day because you can't have a middle ground you're going to create or you're going to destroy so as best you can take conflict take life and create what you can out of it. So
1: your ancestors are so proud of you. Oh, thank because you. Because I, I often think that Thank you. they chose me to receive this because I was the one who could receive it and speak on it. And I've never, ever been an out fourth person to speak on anything. It's not my family, right? We don't (laughs) talk about nothing. Shut up and cook gumbo. (laughs) Yeah, just shut up and cook gumbo, girl. You know what? It does start with you. And they did chose me. But I think they chose this time. Like, it's time. This is it.
2: Well I think it's I think I, I really do think it's a culmination of a lot of things I think the the pandemic has accelerated a lot of things in the world sort of to a tipping point but it is you know again it's the, the generation before us laid a lot of the foundation and then there was a lot of it that was destroyed but we're at a point where diversity is in our homes it's on our tv screens it's in our kids schools it's all around us and again there's the conflict right it's either we move forward and create a new path or we stop this create we stop all of this and we sort of go backwards and i think we're at a point where there are enough people finally and who have enough agency voice and and platforms that even if it's small things happening on a day-to-day basis change is coming but understand that as the the more change we push for there's going to be more pushback and so I think it's we're at a point that I don't think we can slip backwards I think we have to keep pushing forward um it will happen and it will happen
0: you see it kind of go in waves like you get get these incidents and everyone's hyped and then it Mm -hmm. kind of dies like we cannot let that happen
2: yeah, no, and I think that was my biggest fear in 2020. And that was part of where the podcast came to from as well as that was part of that anger was that all of these people care right now, but when the world right. opens up, where will they be? You know, and even in my town, like seeing the, my, the mayor and the police commissioner take a knee in public square during a rally, but then then turn around and shoot down the idea of a community uh, citizen review board for police and decisions, you know, well, we can't do that. It. It's not in the city's charter. Well, yeah, the city's charter, right? Like you can't be with us here and then swat away all the solutions. Oh. So, you know, trust me, the numerous ones of those that happened, but while the, each of these incidents are important and we need to remember these individuals and understand what happened, that the movements have to get bigger and it has to be about actual change and sustainable change and sort of we're done with these happening like we know they're going to continue to happen but this is bigger than that right now like it's much more about how do we stop these situations how do we change power structures how do we remove obstacles and hurdles and how do we have dialogue and anything that gets in the way has got to be moved out of the way so
0: where can our listeners find you
2: i am online at park multimedia and at dan kimbrough just about everywhere
0: and now it's time for break that shit
2: down. I think the big thing is just listen to people. Look at people as individual authentic beings and give them a chance to tell you their story and share yours with them and hope that you can find some sort of common middle ground there. So
1: That might have been awesome.
2: Oh, no. Thank you for the opportunity. Definitely. This was amazing. So I would love to do it again if you ever want to.
0: I appreciate you. Thank you for being an authentic, (laughs) genuine person who's willing to share their self and their stories. Thank thank you you
2: all. This was, this was amazing. Thanks.
1: All right. Thanks Dan. Nice to meet you. We are excited to announce that we have created a sense of soul Patreon page to help support our podcast. You will get extended versions and early access to Sense of Soul podcast episodes. We will be launching exclusive short mini series. Right now, you can listen to my ancestry journey called Untangled Roots. This mini series in its entirety right now on Sense of Soul Patreon and many other things. Hop on Sense of Soul Patreon and sign up to help support Sense of Soul podcast.